Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, friends, generally every week I have a little intro for these shows. A little bit of music playing in the background. Try to keep it to 30 seconds so you won't tune out. Give you a little preview of what might be coming ahead. Well, this week, I'm going to ask you to stick around for a very long time. It's an extremely important chat. It's one of my favorite chats I've ever done. It deals with a a subject that I'm extremely passionate about, which is touring and mental health. Now, you guys know that this is what I do for a living. I travel the world. I run concerts. But we don't always have all the tools to kind of get through that daily grind of being out here. And I know everyone feels like it's a party all the time and it's, it's, it's what you see in the movies and all, all that, but there is a reality to it. You're alone. You're away a lot from your family. You've, you know, if you're battling any addictions, those are available to you. If you're, if you're battling depression, it's tough to get out of it. Uh, there's just so many things that kind of rear its head when you're on tour. And there's a book that's been released called touring and mental health that has compiled a whole bunch of different experts to guide people through the process and hopefully, you know, give some tools to kind of get through the day and the daily grind. I'm extremely, extremely passionate about this project. As you all know, I've quit drinking. I'm coming up on five years and it's just, it's, it's tools that I needed to find to kind of get through it. So Tamson Ambleton is my guest this week. She's authored the book. I did this interview a few weeks ago for my friends at the Canadian Live Music Association. Thanks to my friend Aaron Coyle for having me moderate that chat. And they granted this chat back to me so I could release it for you. So Do Did Will, the Story of People podcast, returns this week with Tamson Embleton, author of Touring and Mental Health. It's one of my favorite interviews. Hopefully you guys will find it super, super interesting. Welcome to a very, very, very special presentation of the Do Did Will Story of People podcast in partnership with my friends at Canadian Live Music Association. We have a very, very, very special guest today. Tamson Ambleton, how are you? Author of this amazing, amazing book called Touring and Mental Health, the Music Industry Manual. Welcome to this amazing day for all these amazing people uh, as part of the Canadian Live Music Association and this presentation. So how are you and hello. Yes, well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. And it's great to be here. What a lovely introduction. Well, this has been a, a true honor for me to be a part of this. I am a massive proponent of uh, touring, um, like a uh, help and mental health uh, awareness on tour. I, I tour for a living as, we, as we're aware. I've spent a better part of the last seven months out all over this fine uh, world of ours. And there's a lot going on in the world while we're touring. So it's been, it's been quite the, um, quite the eye-opening experience. And, and I think uh, as people are coming into the music industry and as people are deciding whether they want to go on tour, uh, I think that you've 
uh, written a book here that's incredible that will give some people some amazing tools to help with their journey. And so as we get rolling here, uh, I do I do want to give some people, uh, everyone uh, with Canadian Live Music Association and, uh, and watching, uh, what do you do, Tamsin? So I'm a music industry psychotherapist. So I run a, an organization called uh, Music Industry Therapist Collective. We're across the UK and the US and we're branching into Europe. We are in uh, Spain and Germany at the moment. And our whole shtick, our USP, is that all of our practitioners that previously worked extensively in the music business before we, we, we retrain. So I worked in live and in studios, um, but mainly live events, venues, things like that. So now what we do is we kind of combine what we've learned through our training, um, whether it's things about trauma, whether it's stuff about addiction or relationships and all the other kind of mental health difficulties um, with our understanding of the particular stresses and pressures of the music industry um, to support people in the industry. So we offer one-to-one -one therapy, group therapy, workshops, seminars, and of course we've written this book together with some friends outside of MITC as well. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, I love the road case too. That's a great look for it. I, I'm, I don't know if you had design uh, on that, but it looks amazing. Um, there is a lot in this book to unpack there's a lot about touring to unpack when you decided to go ahead with this book and put the people together to write it and consult it had to start at sort of a basic idea was it was it were you seeing some things on tour where it was like i think i need to start putting pen to paper we need to start thinking about helping people and the best way to do that is to pull these professionals together that i know and to help them put this book out yeah, well, I mean, it kind of came from personal experience, really. It's about, in fact, I got a little pop-up on Facebook, you know, how Facebook memories tend to pull us back to different times. 13 years ago yesterday, I was somewhere in Europe, I think it was in, in Germany, with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Side Project, Grinderman, and I was tour managing the Support Act, Anna Calvi. Um, and I think, you know, what I realised on that tour, and I'd sent, I'd, I'd been kind of managing artists as well, sending people out on the road and dealing with performance anxiety and, and stress and things like that but I really this was the first time I had first-hand experience of it you know I'd worked in venues and festivals and events and, and ran those events and, and kind of witnessed what happens sometimes backstage in terms of excess in terms of conflict and, and stress and, and people just exhausted like you know sort of stumbling in on artists being half asleep in their dressing rooms and, and things like that but it was actually it took me going out on the road myself to realize just quite how stressful it is i'd really underestimated um you know what it was taking me away from in terms of all the things at home that keep me stable usually like having control over what i eat and, and access to to friends and family and lifestyle practice and stuff that keep you stable but also just the the stress of being kind of um you know plucked out from home and then dropped in these different places where you don't really get enough time to really ground yourself in in um, in the place that you're in you're meeting new people every day so that in itself is a stressor um, and of course stress is impacting the relationships that uh, with people on the road that you tour with as well so that can you know people respond to stress in different ways some people withdraw some people um, 
become, you know, they may uh, drink excessively or, you know, take more drugs or find ways to kind of regulate some people, you know, excess is kind of baked into the culture often on tours. Um, and yeah, so you'd see these kind of differences in coping and how that would, um, you know, how people would or wouldn't address uh, conflict on the road. So a lot of the book is about relationships, really, and conflict management, communication strategies, you know, how you um, talk about mental health on the road and how you anticipate what you might be um, facing. You touched on a point there. I, I'm a, a huge um proponent of, of of the coping side of it as far because we we were presented with access as you said and coping and how we cope is a big is a big deal i decided years ago to, to stop drinking i'm coming up on five years as far as realizing that the access as you were mentioning when you're out there you need a couple of drinks at the end of the tour at, at the end of a show you get on the tour bus you drive 12 hours it's just easy it's just there as you said Add to the fact that we're in one-day relationship mode, as you mentioned, one-day friendship mode. I think this is one of the biggest factors that plays havoc on touring personnel because you're meeting people for one day. You're in, it's a 16-hour blast. It's crew guys, it's 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 riggers, it's venue staff, it's it's catering staff, it's all these people that you're forming relationships for one day. And over a time period of 16 hours, you can talk about a lot of things with people. You can share a lot of things with people. You can, if you, if you're struggling with addiction, there's possibly somebody within that 16 hour day that will also kind of help you along with that. If that's the case, and then you leave the town and then you do it again the next day. And then you have to go home and turn it off and be in, long form relationship mode with your friends, with your family, with your partners, you know, whatever it's going to be. So through that process and through your own experience of touring, how do you turn it on and turn it off? How do you balance one day friendships versus like the people that should be in your life or the people that are, are supporting you in your life coming off on tour and trying to turn that switch off of a one day friendship for mm -hmm. 30 days in a row? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, I think it's a, a, a question that can be answered in many different ways, depending on the person. But I mean, one thing that I'm picking up on what you said is that you feel like you're always on when you're meeting lots and lots of new people. So there's kind of a performance strain to that. You know, you, you don't really get much downtime and time to relax. But at the same time, you may be trying to maintain relationships with people at home who are in different headspaces, different stuff's going on, maybe even different time zones and things like that, which can make, you know, kind of genuine um, contact where you're kind of really aligned, quite difficult to uh, access and maintain. And switching modes is really hard. So often I, I talk with um, managers about, um, you know, being when artists may be in a particular mode on tour, like the, you know, the performances are everything and you have press and other things to negotiate. So you may not be in the, the kind of mode of being able to um, think clearly about admin and about other things that are very in the future. Because on tour, everything's very present. You're dealing with problem solving on the fly all the time because things are changing. Um, so in answer to your question, though, because I'm going off on a tangent, but I would That's say... This so, is tan this is tangent friendly. It's fine. Right. Well, it's all interconnected, you know. It's kind of you know, but 
I think in answer to your question, I think being um, being really intentional about your relationships and thinking about them um, ahead of time and, and what the impact of the tool will be to relationships, say, at home ahead of time. And it's interesting because today I'm, I'm uh, collaborating on an article with a licensing designer called Chris Luce. And when I was researching the book, so this the book comes from an MA dissertation originally that I did in 2016, 2018. And I came across an article by Chris that talked about exit friction and entry friction that he was experiencing and had heard about other people experiencing in their romantic relationships. Um, And he attributes the, the phrase to his wife. And I think that's a really great, really concise description of the tension between the kind of anticipatory anxiety before you leave, knowing that there's about to be a separation. And then also what happens when people get home, which is often your expectations of meeting your loved ones and how restorative it will be and, you know, how you'll connect is often, you know, a bit misaligned with what happens because you come home, your body is trying to sort of reacclimatize to a different pace, a different time zone, you know, to sort of a different mode of being, you know, trying to come back to, to sort of earth really. Um, and at the same time, you've got uh, several people that have different needs um, that need to sort of be met. So it's really about um, better communication, um, really thinking about how do you um, how do you make the other person feel um, connected to you? How do you express what's going on for you? Make space for what's going on for them as well, because touring such a whirlwind, it can kind of take over and you may feel less aware of what's happening with people at home. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I hear you, and and the thing is, is that it's it's a very interesting thing because people there's there's people like here today that are thinking about going into touring for the first time, or maybe they're getting an offer to be a tour manager for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, they hear these stories, and they hear the stories from the '80s and the '90s, and but but there's also exhaustion. There's also your health, your body, like your health and your diet, and and your sleep, and all these things that that you mentioned that that get disrupted. So um, I guess to, to, to stick with this point, then if someone is thinking about accepting a job on tour or a band is going on a major tour for the first time, what should they be prepared for and how the, can they prepare for it? And like, you know, specifically, you know, speaking from your book in this, you know, portion, maybe there's, you could touch on some stuff within your book that would actually prep them for this, for this departure that they're about to get on. Okay, well, there's a section at the back all with um, about self-care. So there's self-care, there's chapters on meditation, on nutrition, on um, breath work, things like that. You can build up your kind of toolkit for how you manage uh, stress. But I would say really set off uh, with healthy habits. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You don't need to drink at the end of every show to market or to celebrate the ending. You know, really think about yourself the next day. That if you do drink um, heavily the night after a show, then that may disrupt your sleep. It may have a knock-on effect to your mental state the next day. So it's really about mindset as well. And, and you know, I like to say that self-care is more of a mindset. It's more about prioritizing your needs and thinking about, you know, how do I um, look after myself and and do my best here in the kind of in the long term but it's also about acknowledging that there will be bumps in the road there'll be ups and downs there'll be challenges and if you can um, stay in a sort of what we call a growth mindset where you see that as a challenge rather than a threat 
then that will help you to collaborate better with others. It will help you sort of anticipate challenges and not be necessarily knocked sideways when it does happen. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of healthy habits is really helpful. Um, you know, trying to stay in, con you know, find your people on the road that get you, you know, try and build in, um, say, for example, we talk about really using your days off wisely. So whether that is doing something fun to blow off steam, something that's very different to what you're doing. Um, and can kind of act as a counterbalance or something creative maybe, or something that's um, helping your body to relax. Um, you know, I've got one client that finds a Lido or a swimming pool wherever he goes and sort of has made it his, one of the things that he's sort of touring the world in swimming pools as well as in venues. So find a way to, you know, we, you might say that's kind of gamifying um, his health, his re relationship to his health. Um, so it's been very thoughtful as well and about, you know, how do I respond in times of stress? Do you become more irritable? Do you become more withdrawn? Do you be, become more, say, tearful? Um, and thinking about, you know, how, what are the healthy counterbalances? What do you need in those moments? How can you really support yourself um, and set off on the right foot? Yeah, it, I, when I go on tour uh, and if anyone watching cares to hear about this but i always treat it like going like it's like a boxing match it's like you're going you, you got to get ready to go into a, a marathon as you said or into a fight so you're not going to get as much sleep as you're used to your diet's going to change um you may again you're going to miss home or your or the routines that you're used to are going to be thrown out of whack you're going to have uh angry people on tour you're going to have uh people with addictions on tour you're going to have people that just want to be left alone so your your whole world can get spun upside down so i think you have to get to the best spot mentally and physically to go into that because if you're going to be out for six weeks or three months or whatever it's going to be you're going to by the end of it you're going to be worn down and you're absolutely going to have a you know it'd be different than when you left this is it. And I think uh, prioritizing sleep is very helpful. You know, I know, for example, that um, Charles Thompson from Pixies says that his tour bus is like a cocoon. He says, you can, you can sleep as much as you like in it. We make it really as quiet and comfortable as possible. You know, they encourage people to rest after the show and help their bodies wind down. Um, so, yeah, it's about kind of and, and also trusting that you can still perform well, even when you're sleep deprived, that, that, as you say, may be a reasonable expectation. So it's setting those kind of reasonable expectations that it is exciting and, you know, you will meet a lot of interesting people along the way, but it also takes the toll. So how do we minimize the impact of that and, and prepare yourself? And musicians and crew people have two different kind of days. Mm -hmm. So your crew, your crew and, and support staff are on site 6, 7 a.m. and they're there till three in the morning. Mm -hmm. An artist um, will often just show up for sound check at 2.30 and then maybe go back to the hotel and come back for the gig at 10 o'clock or, or whatever it's going to be. So their day is different. So your book can touch on all sides of it, whether it be crew, band, but there's two different kinds of processes there and i and i try to stay active when i'm out there i try to visit as many things i try to find all the best coffee in the world i do i do all these little tiny things to try to make my days filled um but your band guys and girls uh might have 12 hours free in a day on tour on a show day which is you know creates problems all the way around so um do you have a different approach to 
the artist side of things that you do to the crew and people traveling, or do you kind of consider them one and the same? No, there's definitely, it's definitely different. And I think there can be a lack of understanding from each two groups. You know, it can seem like artists have it really easy, but they've got a set of pressures around having their name above the door, for example, and being the person that really can't take a day off. I mean, no one, you know, on tour officially can take a day off, of course, because, um, you know, it's a very tight knit crew. Um, but there's additional pressures with meeting press, uh, fans sometimes, meeting greets and those sorts of things, which, um, also add a pressure. So there's something about, um, you know, figuring out maybe, you know, checking Master Tour or whatever app you're using ahead of time and really thinking, okay, so in three days time, I'm going to be in, let's say Berlin, and I've got an extra day there, how am I going to use that time? Or I've got this time, as you say, before the show, you know, is there a, can I request that there's always a gym in the hotel? Can I request a pool at the hotel? Dep depends on your status there, really, and what the budget is. Um, but some venues as well are helping um, signposts to services that are nearby, you know, areas of natural beauty and parks and things like that to try and help people understand what's available close. Um, but you're right, crew are the first in and they're the last out. Um, so the days can be incredibly long. And some people that I spoke to suggested that that can be more flexible once you get in a few weeks in and everybody's kind of in their stride. Do you need to have everybody showing up or is that presenteeism? You know, are there times where you can um, give people a little bit of time back? And if you do, do they take it? Um, but yeah, there's, of course, with those very, very long days, and you've got to think about, well, are there breaks during the day? Is the culture on the tour by whoever's mm -hmm. dictating it? Are they, you know, modeling the behavior they want to see? Are they, you know, keeping people's mindsets um, sort of on the task at hand? Are they signposting to where to get help? Um, you know, and, and kind of what's the culture like on the road? Can you encourage people to take even just a half an hour walk around the building, maybe just to get away from your station or your room and, and get a bit of a breather and some fresh air you've got a quote in here from one of my mentors in here marty home he's one of the you know best guys i've ever met on tour but he's also the top tour manager in the world he said it's a perfect book at the perfect time we in the touring industry have never really addressed or embraced the aspect of mental health in the touring industry and the time to do it um so marty is marty has a great approach on tour he's very approachable not all production managers or tour managers are like that some are yellers mm -hmm. some are you know screamers some are just they don't they like to get it done a certain way and then you know it, it, it really gives you a probably an insight into what their life outside of touring might be like as well um do you touch on that in the book as far as relationship wise we talk about balancing relationships and and the one day friendships that we're in when we're in a building but how about the 100 people that you're on tour with and you're stuck with them for three months you're not going to get along with everybody there's righties there's lefties there's people in the middle there's all sorts of people that are on tour with you what part uh do you recommend in the book where people can talk about balancing the relationships so there's a, a section, so the book's in six sections and one section's on relationships. So there's a chapter on romantic relationships, a chapter on group dynamics. And I think that one's really helpful because it talks about how groups, um, how healthy groups form and function. And also um, it has some leadership principles 
in there as well because you're right I think there's there is a bit of thought at the moment I've certainly and I've interviewed a lot of um, high profile tour managers and production managers where they're looking back and saying you know I used to kind of rule the roost in a different way by using kind of intimidation to get um, to get people to do what I needed them to do but now I'm thinking about that and I'm trying to find ways to empower people to trust them to build communication so that actually you know when you have um, a group of people who are intimidated they don't necessarily come to you when there's a problem and on tour you need people to do that very quickly because you know there is a sense of urgency there so it's about kind of this mind shift which is a broader cultural shift outside of the industry as well um, but of course we have this new generation of people as well who are saying okay well I'll go and get myself some mental health first aid training or I'll train up somebody on the road and then we've got a confidant on the road that people can go to so people People are thinking about how they can do it differently and of course we need artists as well to say you know we're employing certain people here's how we want the the culture to be on the road and so you know change comes from the top and from the bottom ideally mm -hmm. you know that of course we need artists to be on board and to be responsible for the people they're employing and the tone they're setting um, there as well. So there's a lot of guidance for for uh, tour managers. We even go, you know, sort of before you get off on the road, we're saying, can agents and promoters think about these things at the time when they're routing tours? You know, what are the blocks that are in the way for, um, you know, some of the intensity of tours we're seeing after COVID, for example, are, you know, really compressed. People are trying to cram a lot more in because there's been lost momentum, lost earnings. And of course, you're seeing more and more people burn out. Um, mm -hmm. It feels like more and more anyway. I don't know whether the, you know, we haven't got a measurement of what's the ordinary amount of people burning out on the road and what's happening now. But it's certainly there's more people talking to the press. Well, and post-COVID, there's definitely a, a change because... Yeah. People are now deciding how they want to spend their time. They're just spent, you know, they're how they, you know, what kind of tours they want to go on. All the bands went out, so everyone, for the most part, was working. There was tons of people working on tour, and then with that comes, you know, ten months straight of work, eleven months straight of work that didn't exist when everyone was off for three years, you know, or yes. or, or two and a half years. So it's definitely changed. And and to your point on the mental health side, I'm hearing it more than ever on tour where there's opportunity to kind of take a break and, you know, talk to, you know, your person on tour and sort of get into that. What I, I definitely, um, back to me for a second, as far as quitting drinking, I mean, that was a 2019 into 2020 situation for me, or sorry, 2018 into 2019 situation for me. And so I had a year of touring before COVID in that, then COVID hit and then I came back and I saw more people than I've ever seen before that weren't drinking or weren't, you know, they just had made that switch over that COVID saying I needed to get better. I needed to feel better. I do believe um, it was, unfortunately, it, it, it was the break that our industry also needed to kind of tidy everybody up a little bit. And now they're back out with a new kind of touring in front of them. Um, your discussions that you're having currently, what are some of the issues that crew musicians are facing on tour right now that you're that you're seeing or hearing uh, based on your discussions and even maybe when you're putting the book together? So, you know, I think um, we've touched on some parts already today. So stress and burnout and on on tour, stress is cumulative. 
and it hits you, it can hit you biologically, psychologically, and socially. It's usually a combination of those factors. Um, of course, various forms of anxiety. You know, some people are coming out of this period of time with COVID and just being around people has been anxiety provoking. There may be some of that subsiding now, but the after effects of COVID, you know, it's affected some people's tolerance um, and um, their capacities. Um, so, you know, we're still figuring out the after effects of that period for us. Um, depression, you know, isolation and loneliness can be a big thing on the road. As you say, some relationships are transient or, so that you know, they're very quick. Um, or people may not want to open up too much um, with the people that they're working with on the road. You know, they may not feel comfortable doing that. You know, alternatively, groups can form cliques and gossip, and gossiping and that sort of thing. So that's often coming into um, the therapy space as well. It's, you know, how do we manage kind of conflict or people feeling scapegoated? So that's, you know, people take certain roles when groups are dysfunctional. I won't say, you know, I feel like sometimes that I, I was harp on about the most difficult parts of touring. And I will say, you know, it can be a really enriching experience. So you can really learn a lot about yourself and develop incredible skills and relationships as well. But uh, the usual things are, so what came up in um, various forms of research has been stress, anxiety, pressure to relationships, um, depression um, and suicidality, addiction, of course, because dependencies are quite easy to form on the road because alcohol and other drugs can be effective uh, relaxants. You know, we wouldn't use them if they weren't effective. Um, so... You know that and of course they're freely available um maybe less so now it depends on the state you're in i suppose as well in, in the states for example but um yeah so in that scenario when it's high stress and you've got readily available um substances then you can see how dependencies on them may form um, and of course dependencies can lead to addictions as well depending on various other factors um, and then for some people there's traumas that occur on the road you know the sexual assault for example or um, you know heaven forbid there can be uh, events can happen in uh, in festivals you know we, we've certainly seen a fair bit of that over the years as well so sometimes having some trauma training uh, sort of first responder training can be helpful as well um but yeah so it's kind of it it's varied i don't know whether they've definitely sort of um whether issues there's a different sort of kind of constellation of issues since covid necessarily um but then you know you let me know if you feel like that's wrong um I, I think that there's there's definitely more support. You touched on on some of the people that are that have helped support this book, and we can we can dive into that because I I want to actually uh, ask you about how did you do it. So you've you've had a lot of support on the book, and and there's been more support as I said post COVID. I've seen of of more mental health programs out there for people. Um, but putting this thing together, putting the book together, trying to design you know design it, put your team together um and publish a book which is a huge undertaking in itself uh you know how did you do it how, how long did it take to put this together and what were your key factors in your brain about trying the, what you wanted to cover when you did it yeah i mean it's it it did take a long time i must say i think there were you know really i started i suppose if you say that i started the initial research in 2016 and you know it came out early this year so there's years of, of research 
that is there's a huge team involved in it. I've written about seven chapters, I think it's seven, six, seven, and there's uh, 30 chapters overall. So for example, we've got chapters on hearing health, um, vocal health, sexual health. We've got uh, chapters on trauma. We've got chapters on um, you know sleep science and, and all sorts of different things and nutrition on the road as well, because we believe in looking at things holistically. So we had a, I mean, the support has been phenomenal. Very lucky that um, I started to crowdfund to pay for the book and to pay for the writers. Um, and that crowdfunder was seen by Michael Rapino, Live Nation, and he funded the book, which was amazing. And they also, Live Nation have pre-bought 3,000 physical copies for their venues, um, and they've also pre-bought 500 ebooks for their staff. Um, and now we're looking at turning the book into Spanish. We've got a Spanish version coming out next year, possibly a Danish version. There may be some other versions coming later down the line as well. Um, so the sport's been great. So essentially the process of the book was figuring out, you know, the, the main areas we wanted to um, tackle. So that was, you know, helping people really understand what mental health is all about, differences between mental health, mental illness, neurodiversity, you know, how mental health and mental illness develops. And um, so there's a whole chunk on background and in in that section, there's a great chapter uh, by a researcher called Geordie Shenton. I asked him to analyze all the research we could find, so like a hundred studies or sim something similar to that, and to tell the story of you know what is happening in the music business more generally and then specifically in touring. And then there's these other sections on like relationships, on stress and trauma and addiction and eating disorders and these other kind of sections. And then we found the people that were the specialists in those areas with the music and industry background to write them um, and whilst all that was happening and while we were editing these other chapters that were coming in and um, I interviewed around I think it's around 80 people in the end um, who were prominent tour managers like Marty um, and Jake Berry and um, Misty Roberts and uh, Jim Digby and all sorts of people Tina Farris um, and, and artists as well, um, none of whom I can remember at this moment, but it'll come back to me. So we had Phil, Philip Selway from Radiohead, we had Katie Mellower, we had Will Young, we had, um, who else? Now it's all gone, but they're, they're all in this. We've, what we did was then we analysed these uh, interviews and we selected quotes to bring the chapters to life because we didn't want it to be too dry. Just, a, you know, mental health books can be a little dry sometimes. So we wanted to bring everything to life. And like Marty had some great quotes in there about, you know, how does he use a growth mindset to um, cope with um, when big plans change, for example, like when Fleetwood Mac had to, he had to put them all in a Best Western after a show because there was a storm and none of their private planes could fly and he had to break the news that they were all staying in a Best Western or, you know, there's various other kind of um, insights and suggestions in there, which are quite interesting. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of how we wrote it. That must have been an exciting feeling when you uh, actually published it, got it out. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, Live Nation bought a bunch for their staff and for their venues. Um, it's it's just a great feeling because no one knows what to expect when a book comes out. But this touches on this industry that is so massive, and everyone has so many questions about how to get through the day to day. They yeah. think it's, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and everyone's this, and you know, it's, it's, it's a party all the time, but it's changed so much now. And it's it, mental health is to me is, is really the forefront 
of the touring industry now. There's so many bands putting it, f- f- you know, front and, and center for their artists or for their crew, sorry, and their people. And I think that's amazing because I, I definitely think, as I mentioned, I definitely think it's changed since COVID. I think it's gotten way more uh, prominent and, you know, and, and artists and, and bands are taking uh, more ownership of it. Um, I, so prime example, um, you know, Lewis Capaldi halts touring for foreseeable future. He had just gotten off the stage at Glastonbury. I was on that stage. I was there for that weekend. He had just played prior to the artist that I was touring with and everyone, he had one of the best shows of the festival, 200,000 people out there and people losing their mind and just loving life. And, you know, he's, he says he's thanks to Glassbury for having him sing along when I needed it. And for the amazing messages afterwards, you know, that's the statement. You guys can read it online if you so choose, but Lewis decided to take a break from touring and Sean Mendez decides to take a break from touring. Mm-hmm. And I think people, it, it's, it's really interesting that artists are now just basically flat out. Like I'm burnt out. I'm spent. I don't, I, I have to take a break to give you the best show possible. Um, I think it's I think it's pretty amazing that artists artists are owner are, are owning it and stepping up and saying it and and in turn hopefully taking care of their people. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one because I guess yes, it's great that there's that transparency now, but I feel frustrated that it gets to that point now with Lewis and I don't know the ins and outs of it and I don't know his team, but there were indicators before that show. Like I think he'd cancelled a show a couple of weeks before and he'd sort of slowed things down a bit and then came back for this huge show and you know Glastonbury's our biggest festival in the UK mm-hmm. everyone's watching at home and you know the audience is massive I kind of feel like there were some signs there that he was struggling ahead of time and those red flags were missed and look artists have burnt out on the road and had breakdowns psychotic episodes they've had addiction relapses for decades, but we've used euphemisms. We've said it's exhaustion. You know, it's a, a good friend of mine, Jodie Milstein, who pointed that out. And I was like, yes, that's what, so we're not using euphemisms now. So we've got artists to thank for that. But what I don't know is happening yet, and Brent, you tell me if this is wrong, but is this filtering back? And is, you know, what we don't have is industry standards. Like how many shows is a reasonable amount of shows to do in a week? You see some artists going, I can do six. You're like, really? That's a lot. Like, how long can you do six in a row for? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe are, they, are you just really young or is it not very vocal heavy? Or like, I don't know. You know, what are the kind of I think it depends on the level of touring. I, I mean, I I I went down to a punk rock show in Vancouver a couple of months back with a friend of mine playing drums, and I looked at his, you know, I went down to see him, hadn't seen him in a while. He was so excited to get back on tour. Yes. Uh, he's and it was like one of the classic five band punk tours. So everyone's sharing gear. They're all sharing vans. They're sharing hotel rooms. They're they're you know, they're splitting the the three grand or whatever the two grand or the five grand or whatever's coming in. They're they're doing it. But I'm looking at a schedule and they didn't have a day off for three weeks. They played every single day, and I was like no way (laughs) there's no way there's no way i could do that but they were so they just couldn't wait to play and obviously playing live is its own drug in itself and and you like playing and it's and it's great but i was like there's no possible way i wouldn't even tour manage that i wouldn't do it like at this point because i know just mentally and and that i i i couldn't do that many um i've been with bands that have done three in a week i've done with bands that have been four in a week often it's it's um 
seasonal. So if you're doing the summertime in America, you're doing the amphitheater tour. So you can do three in a row and take a break because they're, they're quicker drives. They're, it's a bit of a, a smoother process, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's healthy or what's not healthy. I no, think it's per band. really. Of course it, it absolutely is. And what I will say about the DIY scene and my, my history is definitely part of the punk DIY scene back in Liverpool, but is, you know, there is something that is, um, preserved when you keep your when you maintain your autonomy on the road you know that's one of the brilliant things about the diy um scene right is that you can you do maintain your autonomy and when you give up your autonomy like when artists um get bigger and bigger or there's bigger teams involved then you know you lose something in that we know that reduced autonomy really impacts your mental health um there's there's I don't think there's any scenarios where it wouldn't. Um, and that's one of the things that can be compromised. But we shouldn't underestimate, and I think sometimes people do underestimate the toll that being on stage um, can take. You know, there's some very early stage research that suggests that, you know, a performance can, your cortisol levels, your stress hormone, and you have lots of different hormones involved in performance. Some of them are really good and restorative and feel brilliant. But it's also what we call a positive stress experience, but that also can take a toll on your body. And it, your cortisol levels can be as high as this skydive. And they're not quite reaching base level by the next day. And so on tour, the next day, you're starting at a rate, say your base level is here. You're, you're already starting a bit higher and you may have another show. And then the day after you may start, you know, your base level stress may be, you know, may increase. So that's one of the kind of, well, it's a hypothesis I have about how stress accumulates on the road. But, you know, the other thing about the, you know, the tour you described is there's a real community there. There's a sense that everyone's in it together. There's mm -hmm. so I think there's some psychological elements for some tours um, that can be helpful. But we all have different stress thresholds. You know, some people are um, their bodies are more reactive to stress. They may have more stress related illnesses, for example, like Lewis, who you mentioned before, that's Tourette's that may increase in times of stress in the Glastonbury show, which I haven't watched all of, but he, you know, he was struggling to get his words out and the, the crowd carried him along, which, you know, so that kind of shows you the physical impact and the psychological impact of that stress exposure. Well, and if you struggle with like, stage fright or any kind of like pre-show nerves and it's like adrenaline hits that you're ha that's happening all the time. And um, I was I was speaking to a firefighter friend of mine and, and he said he likens uh, bands that are going to concerts like firemen. Ah. And, you know, because it's it's a it's a hit and it's not quite as frequent as what happens to uh, to firefighters, yeah. um, men or women. But but but. Uh, the issue is more like you come down and then you then you go up and then you come down and then you go up and then you come down and then there's things and and, and you asked earlier about getting ahead of it or, or recognizing it well from the firefighter people that i know and first responder people that i know there's checks and balances in place for them right. as they get into their 50s and closer to their 60s to start winding them down from the adrenaline hits because it's 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 like it's go out and 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 you know whether it's a, a fire or it's an accident or something it's it's a major sort of like adrenaline hit and then it comes back mm -hmm. and then you got to bring it down and then all of a sudden it hits again and, and touring and music and and getting on stage or can be that and then for crew you know you've been working all day and then you have you know a bit of downtime and then you got to put it back out so yeah i mean checks and balances i i 
you're never going to convince a tour or a band to like take less shows if there's more money there. So it's putting the checks and balances in, in place to, yeah. to tr try to make sure your crew is getting through it uh, and make sure your, your team and, and your, your artists and your performers are getting through it. So. And maybe, you know, that's where brands come in as well, that they can help to um, sort of make up that shortfall maybe so that we can have healthier touring. So we don't, so to break even, we don't have to push people quite so hard. Um, right. And often it's when artists get to burnout that that's when the next time they tour, it changes a little bit. And they say, well, actually, I'm going to take, as you say, an extended amount of time off. And when they come back, we'll yeah. do it differently. So we learn, we learn from these times as well, I guess. As we mo roll through, tell me about this. So you guys are offering um, therapeutic services. Well, you offered therapeutic services at Rocks, uh, Roskilde Festival. Um, so in essence, you, uh, you, you were at the festival providing services for people, breath work uh, with practitioners, stress management, anxiety relief. You had all sorts of things that people had an option to, to visit. Uh, at the festival is that something that you want to do uh moving forward uh at more events and what kind of services are you offering for people at those things absolutely so this is mitc soundcheck we've called it and it is well it's evolving at the moment to include a pre-festival program which might include um well, it might include all sorts of different things, performance psychology, things like that, but skills building for different groups. It might have mental health first aid, things like that. It might have a kind of harassment training or group dynamics, communication and conflict, and then on-site support as well. Um, so last year at Roskilde, we had injury prevention, we had breathwork sessions, we had uh, stress relief, anxiety management, um, and then we had also our pop-up clinic, which had physiotherapists and a medical doctor and also therapeutic coaching as well by experienced psychologists and psychotherapists who speak variety of languages. So it was trying to give something. Um, and so those services, for example, we have artists um, coming in individually ahead of their show and they would have maybe some um, hypnotherapy or they'd have some um, something to ground them and help them get into the right mindset. We had groups coming in talking about um, the group dynamics and how they'd uh, kind of um, navigate that a little bit better when stresses were kind of becoming apparent. We had people coming in talking about their relationship to alcohol. We had people coming in talking about how hard it was for them to sleep after the show and how could we help them wind down. So it was quite a variety of things and then lots of physical issues coming too. So in the future, we're looking at things like, you know, making sure that people have um, you know, hearing health support before they get to site or, you know, they have um, whatever it is they need. There'll be a needs assessment, essentially, is the short, short answer. And then we will address what those physical, psychological and social needs are and put together a program. But this, just to be clear, this was for Ross Kilder's, um, uh, I can't remember what they call it, actually. It's a pre-festival festival for the emerging artists. Nice. I've seen a little bit of um, support uh, at some of the festivals. I did a lot of the European festivals this summer in particular, and there was some really cool setups there that help people with their day. Um, I'm really loving the fact that, uh, that the promoters and the different uh, people are, are taking the initiative to make sure that everyone has the best day that they can possibly have at these things, recognizing that they're away from home, away from their families. Mm -hmm. 
I'm seeing many portable gyms set up backstage. I'm seeing nice. full yoga classes set up backstage. I, there's a barber shop at uh, Copenhagen this year. There's like all these really cool things that you could just go in and feel normal for yes. for your 12 hours that you're on site. And I think it's so important for our industry. Um, do you can you comment then on on uh, the, some of the tools that are that, that you know of now that are existing for the touring industry currently, people, as we touched on earlier, people that are getting into the business for the first time that are watching this with our friends here at Canadian Live Music Association uh, that are thinking about getting into touring, thinking about um, going up for the first time, and then p- potentially people that are a part of this uh, today uh, that have already been on tour that may they might not be aware of some of the tools that exist out there. For sure. So there is a chapter that goes into this in more detail. I think it's chapter five, healthy touring. Um, so there, depending on where you are, there's various different um, organizations available that may offer helplines um, that you can also access, um, of course, on site. Um, helplines, grants and funding providing uh, providers for, say, therapy, things like that. And then there's people like Music Support, are an amazing charity in the UK who we... Um, big fans are at MITC they've got a helpline but they also do these kind of safe hubs in um, Live Nation festivals in the UK where you Mm -hmm. talk to somebody who's from the industry who has some training some understanding of of what you're going through Um, and then they run like 12-step meetings on site so people who are sober on site can drop in twice a day or sometimes once a day I have to double check that they're still doing these um, and meet like-minded others and stay on track with their recovery goals. And on that note, there's this wonderful organization over in Detroit, Passenger Recovery, run um, partly by Chris from Electric Six, and they offer what we call Safe Passage, um, which is helping someone get from A to B without falling off the wagon. So helping an artist maybe get, or uh, someone on the crew, get from their hotel to the venue um, and maybe to 12-step groups and things like that. Then there's Safe Tour, which is an American organization that is harassment training and for people on the road as well. Um, There's all sorts of different things out there. We're actually halfway through developing an online database of resources, which will be free to access. So if you keep on track with touringmanual.com, we've got some resources on there. There's a free fear of flying chapter you can download um, by wonderful guy called Marty Scythe. And that will also have this database on where you can look up and see where you are, see what's available for you. Now, as far as we touched on the touring side of it, we touched on on getting ready for the tour. Do you touch on post tour? Hold on, one so, I've just realised my laptop isn't uh, charging, and it's just about to die. Give me one second. What? Wow, well, that's fine. Do you repeat? No problem. Question, I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what we're going to talk about next is obviously post touring. What I want to uh, touch on is is the coming off tour i touched on it a little bit earlier about how when we come back off tour we have to basically move into being normal again and we touched a little bit earlier on one day relationships so what that's like to meet you know hundreds of people over the course of three months four months and then you have to come home and turn that off and and talk to your neighbor down the street about what they've been up to and and what they've been up to since you left could be could be as simple as oh i cut the grass uh went and watched the football game uh built a deck and then you yeah. you have to 
you have to, uh, how do I explain it? You have to get into that space of like, right. Uh, how can I talk about standing on stage in front of a hundred thousand people and, and, and the, and the adrenaline rush and the crazy when it's, you know, uh, things are just chilled and normal back home and you have to adjust in. in. So what kind of tools, obviously we know, but that we talked about what they exist, but what kind of tools would you recommend to people when they're coming off on tour to try to get back into it? And, and where do you touch on that in the book? So there is a chapter called post-tour recovery, chapter 30. Sorry, my light's just gone because the, uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so it's chapter 30, post-tour recovery, goes into this a little bit. And it talks about, um, essentially, yeah, preparing for that post-tour period and acclimatizing. Now, one thing lots of experienced touring people do is add on an extra couple of days at the end of the tour um, when they're able to afford it, where they can just spend a bit of time on their own in a hotel room, you know, coming down, kind of easing that transition um, and then there's, you know, there's in that chapter, there's a what we call a wellness wheel. Actually, we worked with the Canadian woman, uh, Kristen Gilbert, who is a, well, I'm going to forget the, the name of her practice, actually, but she is a DJ and she also works with people in a kind of occupational health slash therapist way. She recommends using a wellness wheel to identify the areas that need special attention in your life, whether it's your romantic relationships, your nutrition, and start to build things in slowly. But be gentle with yourself. And some people recommend keeping in contact with those on the road because they really have that insight as to what you've experienced and in what way you might have changed, let's say. Um, I think having, you know, spending as much time outside and in nature and exercising and trying to kind of build back your strength is helpful. And just being sort of, you know, uh, taking care of yourself in a way because people have this romanticized view of touring you know they may have an unrealistic expectation of what you've experienced thinking it's all glamorous of course mm -hmm. glamorous is always an interesting word to use with touring in my experience but you know so there's something about making sure that you've got contact with people who actually know the reality of what you've experienced which is one of the reasons we have MITC that you have therapists with that knowledge that aren't going to just see the kind of glittery outside of um of your job before we wrap a few things so how um how important was was this book to you personally yeah. to put this out like yeah. do you, i mean I'm, I'm assuming that after the book came out you actually re can go back and reference it yourself if you personally are struggling. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you've built, you've built this book to help yourself as well as everybody else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's something, you know, it, I guess it came from my experience and my friends' experiences and my clients then as well, you know, kind of noticing what was happening for them. But I, I learned so much doing it. I mean, a bit for, there's a few standout chapters which were, we're struggling with some internet there stand by friends i found her she's back we got her tamson welcome back <laughs> Sorry. i was just about to wrap it up and here you are so i uh i the internet's a terrible thing isn't it it's just terrible when it goes down but um okay well as we we move along here uh, and finish up because um we don't know when we're going to get hit with the internet uh, bug again um 
a few things. Uh, I want to send people to your website here, uh, Turing, and uh, it's basically TuringManual.com. Uh, this, this is just dedicated to the book specifically. You've got your your site as well. Uh, but this is, uh, you've got some great uh, news articles in here where you actually spoke about Lewis Capaldi. Um, and people can sign up. There's some great resources. There's a great chapter in there, a uh, free chapter about fear of flying. And as I mentioned before, I'm, uh, I did 150 flights last year. So, so it's, that's, that's definitely a thing for people. I don't know how, you know, I, I respect people's struggles, but I'm not sure how people can do this business without flying, you know? It's, it's hard. Yeah. It's it depends on the location, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of resources on there and we're just about to, well, I'm, I'm kind of maybe an eighth of the way through recording the audio book, which will be out next year. And eventually we're going to turn the book into, and we're starting to work on this now, online courses. So we'll build it out a bit um, and there'll be various courses based on the chapters and the topics within that that people can sign up to and, and be guided through. And then our MITC website is musicindustrytherapist.com. So you can find us all on there. Talk to us about MITC. MITC soundcheck, it's quite a mouthful. And then, you know, I really wanted to mention as well, these two amazing organizations in Canada, and it's a good thing for me to remember actually, because I really want to reach out to them, but there's the Musicians Clinic of um, Canada. So that's musiciansclinicsofcanada.com. And then there's the Unison Fund, um, which also support people in getting uh, therapy and various things like that. So that is unisonfund.ca. Unison Fund were a big help for a lot of us during COVID. So oh, they uh, they definitely, they financed a, a lot of people and, and helped a lot of people get through it. So uh, definitely uh, there's tons of resources out there. Final takeaways for everybody uh, that you would like them to take away from your book and uh, any encouraging words for anyone looking to get into the business. I would say... You know, really try to get to know yourself, get to know your limits, get to know the areas for potential growth and your strengths as well. You know, one of the things we've got on the website is a pre-tour questionnaire, which can help you figure out what's worked for you in the past if you've got touring experience or what skills you might have um, that you can use for touring. Um, but also really think, you know, we're relational creatures. We need community. We need social support. So figure out how that works for you whether it's sponsors whether it's people on the road off the road people who are on different tours they're out there there's lots of wonderful groups um out there now specifically about this you know good thing about covid is people all over the world have been more connected online so there are online groups that are you know specific to like the back lounge by Susie green which um is an online support group and i know backline in the states had similar so there is support out there do look for it and of course you know, hopefully in about four to five months, we'll have this online database ready for you to access as well. Well, that'd be amazing. Hopefully you'll come back on and we'll talk about it. We'll go, uh, we'll go line by line and give everyone an online course uh, about it. This is uh, Tamson Ambleton. Thank you so much uh, for joining today and speaking to everybody here at Canadian Live Music Association. Uh, and I encourage everybody watching to uh, and attending today to, to pick up this book and dive in just just even if you've never toured before you're gonna you're gonna dive in and, and see what we all go through on tour and and decide for yourself whether you want to make a career out of it and uh, go from there where can everybody find you online before we let you on go 
so I'm uh, on the socials at Tamsin Embleton or at Tamsin Embleton 2 on Facebook. And you can find the book on Amazon um, in the States. It's in Barnes & Noble. I don't know where else it is in Canada, actually. But yeah, you can. We are MITC on the socials as well for music industry therapists. Excellent. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you to my friends at Canadian Live Music Association for for uh, allowing us to have this discussion today and 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 a very important one at that. And to all the attendees that attended today, thanks for your time. Uh, Tamson, all the best in the future. Look forward to the, all the online stuff that's coming with that. That's Do Did Will, the Story of People podcast for another week. Uh, take care, everybody. Be safe, be wonderful, and uh, rock and roll. All right. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.